Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm fine. Just fine. Just just okay. JMS. I'm just doing okay. Just like this uh, episode we're about to discuss. Oh, spoiler! Spoiler! Just fine. How about yourself? Nah, you know, I could be a bit more satisfied in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty satisfied with our podcast because did you know that we're the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the entire universe? I searched. I made sure to go to Neptune after the previous recording. I went there. No B5 podcasters from Australia there. There are some ones from Germany there for some reason, but I'm not going to question their ways. You know, the Germans, strong, powerful people. And I looked around the rest of the universe. It took a while approximately about 45 minutes, but I searched and I searched and I couldn't find any. And so I think it's good to say that we here at the Yum Yum podcast offer a service and no other podcast offers. We're the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the entire universe. We're the only married couple podcast. We're the only ones We're coming... We're the only f- married couple podcast? For B5. For B5. For B5. No, no. In fact, I killed all the other married people in the world that have podcasts. It's only us now. Uh, that's why there's. it's been pretty pretty quiet on the podcast Is that sphere. why I no longer listen to Muriel's Murders? True crime podcast people, you know what Rachel's talking about there. You know, a crime pod, a true crime pod- podcast that made NFTs. One of the most morally duplicitous things I've ever heard of, it's honestly. Carbon neutral. Doesn't. Okay. So, Rachel, what are we doing here on Yum Yum Podcast? And why that title for those who aren't in the know? Because you're a dickhead. That's why. And we watched the season two episode of Star Trek Discovery where an individual got paid to say yum yum, it got edited, it got aired, it got viewed by us multiple times. It was such a beautiful moment from Star Trek Discovery's second season finale that it is the official IMDb thumbnail. For that episode. Well, when I say official, it means I made it the IMDb thumbnail and no one's changed it. And no one ever will because no one cares enough to stop the yum yum moment from happening. But we were so inspired, we had to name ourselves after it. But what what else do we do on the podcast other than explain our own name for those who need to be caught up? Well, this particular edition of the show is Yum Yum 5 because... Yum Yum follows us everywhere, and we're talking about Babylon 5, a specific episode in Season 4. That's where we're up to, but we are a rewatch podcast, and spoilers are included. Mm. We encourage you to watch the show and even rewatch. Episodes as you listen along. We're heading into full spoiler territory. So we're up to episode 12 of season four Conflicts of Interest. And here is that summary. Hoping to sway the non aligned worlds to his side, Sheridan seeks an agreement from two ambassadors who rarely agree on anything Malari and Jakar. The voice of resistance debuts. 
and I, I made sure to check if the resistance is supposed to be there. Not in our, not in our booklet. Now, I do want to stress, sometimes the DVD booklets are imperfect. You get a Minbari ship that's upside down. You get Martin Sheen instead of William Morgan Shepard as Soul Hunter. They're, they're, they're riddled with little details like that that you do not get on digital platforms. You don't get that. You you get different descriptions, which are also interesting in their own ways, but it lacks that just oomph you get from physical ownership. And also, when you watch something on the physical media, you can determine who in the given episode has YYE. That is yum yum energy. Somebody who exudes I don't yum think that's yum. Exclusive. It is. Have you ever noticed that we only look for YYE in shows that we have a physical copy of? Hmm. Didn't didn't see any YYE in uh, any Star Trek Discovery episodes that we covered. We never looked for it because we couldn't see it on the digital platform we watched it on. I know. Rachel, I don't know about you. There were a few people here that had uh, some YYE in conflicts of interest. My top contender is 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 a classic, but he's a classic for a reason. It has to be Zach Allen. He was just walking around with that face of his. He was this close to saying yum yum. But my other person, I want to give a shout out to. She may not have been exploding with YYE, but I feel like the actress wanted to say yum yum, and that's. Elise Hampton, Edgar's. I feel like the actress wants to say it more than the character does. And every now and then we've had that, haven't we? Mm -hmm. It's like you Mm -hmm. can tell the actor wants to lick their Mm -hmm. lips and throw their hair back and say yum yum, but the script ain't allowing that. How do you feel? Who are your YYE contenders? I think you have overlooked two characters in a very specific scene where yum yum was in full swing. Mm -hmm. By the bucket load. Yes. Say their names. Say their names. Avonova and Zathras. Do you mean Avonova and Zathras? You said Avonova and Zathras. No. I think you mean Avonova and Zathras. I said Zathras. Are you sure? I, I thought I could hear you saying Zathras. It's very subtle, Ryan. I didn't choose them. Mainly because I didn't feel the characters wanted to say yum yum, but I felt like JMS writing that scene was saying yum yum while he was typing the words out. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. He was very satisfied with himself doing that. And you know what? I was too. I, uh, you know what? Let's give it to Zathras because he won't be back again to get it again, but we'll have plenty more Zach and Lise action to come. Now, Already given away some of the feelings I have for this. Uh, history-wise, though, I actually remember this episode quite fondly, mainly for the Zach Allen portion of this. I, I have an emotional attachment towards the character, so him having to go against Garibaldi brings out some drama that I find compelling overall. The having to get the gun back and Garibaldi, in the end, screwing Zach's trust over. I think it is a pivotal moment for his character in this series where it touches base on his overall problem of having to make tough decisions and having to draw the line in the sand of uh, being somebody who's in a position of power and somebody who's a friend. And so mm-hmm. I have a fond attachment towards it, but overall I I found this very lackluster and boring and probably the weakest episode of B5 we've watched since Grey 17 is missing, I would say, or oh, yeah. Walker 
about. It's not as mm. uh, overtly terrible as those, but I was as thrilled watching weak. it as those episodes. So that's my uh, that's my overall opinions and history. What about you, Rachel? Do you remember conflicts of interest all that well? No, no, I don't. I remember that Lise does come to B five, mm. but I kind of forget that it's this episode and. The other two plots are so minor that I kind of do that thing that I've been mentioning a lot where I, like, slot it into other episodes or I think of it as being, oh, yeah, that's a thing that happens at some stage. Like, it's not fixed in a particular episode because it is that kind of idea where it's like, oh, it needs to happen during this window, but what episode it happens in doesn't really matter that much we were discussing this with ben last time about that being a major side effect of serialized storytelling in the television format where even with shows we like say better call soul there are so many episodes where things happen and i couldn't tell you which episodes they were Mm -hmm. like i couldn't tell you which episode it is where it ends with jimmy mcgill kicking the door in because him and kim can't get that office together but i remember that moment individually yeah and even though that's a show i love dearly i find it more difficult to remember its stuff because it's so serialized when you look at breaking bad in comparison Mm. pretty serialized but it has really great standalone episodes. And I think that's the problem with season four is everything bleeds into one another so, so strongly that when you even get an episode like Conflicts of Interest, which is a lesser story, it's not even you look at it as say, oh, I remember it like I do Exogenesis or The Long Dark or the King Arthur episode where Mm. it's it stands enough in its quality where you remember it. Well, here it it just sits in that blurry gray area yeah. of it. It slots. It's fine. It slots in somewhere in the story. You have a brief. You have a six episode window of where it could land, but that doesn't mean that you you love it enough to no, even remember. No, and I um want to acknowledge something a bit. I guess begrudgingly, probably one of the best Garibaldi-focused episodes. Today has been a great day. (laughs) You know, it reminds me of why I went independent in the first place. You know, up in the war room, it's all just pieces on the board, fleets, empires, all the big stuff. You never get to see the faces of the people you help. It's, It's just not personal. I want to talk about Zach Allen first, because I did already, uh, open that can of worms, but I'm going to bang the third space drum again. JMS really drops the ball here with Zach Allen in terms of not making him more of a central focus within this story. Just like in third space, I said in third space, I believe that Zach Allen should have been one of the more central characters, if not the lead character of that story. And I feel the same here where this really should be a Garibaldi versus Zack episode. And there are moments where you can see that in the distance, but I put that solely, not solely, but I put that majorly towards Jeff Conway's performance. He adds so much of the gravitas to it. Yes, where I'm giving it more credit because of his acting rather than the screen time or what the script is putting down for Zach here. Now, could you just uh, 
lay out for everyone what is Zach's story going on within the episode and uh, what's his emotional journey through it? Well, he gets pulled into Sheridan's office and Sheridan's being a creepy weirdo, being in the dark. He's all in the dark. And to the point where he has to be like, no, I'm here, Zach. It's me. I'm here. I wear all black now. And I'm in the dark. But he's like standing by the window, so it's just like, yeah, Zach, you you can clearly see him. It's a big if... office. It's a big he's... office. You gotta mm. look at his desk first and be like, he's not there. <laughs> I better phone up the chief and ask him where Sheridan would be. But what is uh Sheridan called him in for? Garibaldi resigned ages ago and you haven't taken back his shit. So go take get, it back. Go get our stuff. It's not his stuff. It's the station stuff. And he shouldn't have it anymore. But what's Zach's argument for why he should? Well, he's going to come back. Doesn't feel right the way that he left. Hmm. So I haven't done it yet. Uh, He is sentimental. I I don't need to do it because... He's going to be back really soon, and I'm just going to have to give it back to him. So it's not even like worth the time to go and get it from him because I'm just going to have to give it back. I love this. I love this. I truly do. One, it makes sense. Logic. It makes a complete sense for the Zach Allen character to do this, and I, I, I. Sheridan is going through the business. He's going through the logical side of this completely. And everything he says is correct. Obviously, you should take his shit back when he resigns. That's the procedure. That's the protocol. That's the regs. The fact that Garibaldi didn't give these things back is shocking in itself, but also completely lines up with his character. But Zach is sentimental here. He knows Garibaldi more than anyone else. He points that out. He worked with him on a 24-hour basis every day of the week. And so he understands that there's something wrong with Garibaldi, but no one seems to be intrigued or interested or care about it like Zach does. And Zach doesn't know how to explore that or investigate that anymore because He still sees Garibaldi as a person rather than a problem to solve, which is how Sheridan sees Garibaldi. He doesn't want to investigate or crack this case open fully because he doesn't want to intrude upon Garibaldi's life because Garibaldi's a person with autonomy and with needs and desires. And so Garibaldi can be allowed to have his gun and his identity card and all of that crap because Zack is a sweetheart and he's too trusting. But I think another thing that's very, very telling, and I, I want to hear from you about this, is he believes that Garibaldi will take back the position. Yeah. And so he's not going to give this to him. But what do you think about how it reflects on Zach in this position of power, where he is operating on the assumption that he's just keeping the chair warm for the guy who's actually in power? Oh, I- We've seen that over and over again. It does. He's like, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's his. He's still very much firm in that belief. And some of his actions like this really line up with that. The idea of like, this isn't my job. 
I'm just keeping the seat on. It'll go back to its rightful owner soon enough. And it's kind of um, sort of, un- I can't think of the right word, but a bit ironic knowing that he ends up being like the last. He's there on the station to the very end and he signs back on to be in this position mm-hmm. as chief of security because he just wants to be there. I, I, It humanizes Zach very much, as we've touched on many times, where he is a better chief of security character mm. because he does not like being in power. He finds it something that is not owed to him. And the journey is he has to overcome that Mm -hmm. and accept the role and do it. And that there is a great character to have in your television show, especially one where it is about questioning authority, one that is about pushing back against the powers that be, yet there's that contradiction or that, that fuse in the brain that goes off where we are also following a show about people who have power, who are dictating the rules and what society should be. There's always that war with this show. And so you have Zach, who's just a schmuck. He's just a, a dude. He's just a guy that signed up for a security job. He has a checkered background. And now he's been thrust into this position of power because he's trustworthy. And that's a part of his weakness. He's too trustworthy. And I just really applaud this episode for what we do get with Zach because a part, I mean, it's in the title, Conflicts of Interest. He has a conflict of interest here where, yes, he should be a professional and have taken those things away from Garibaldi. But he is also a human being who is not somebody who looks at himself as the job solely. So he didn't do those things. It makes sense. But not only does it make sense, it helps with his arc in the episode, where by the end of this episode, he is no longer trustworthy of Garibaldi, and he is on the path further to accept that he will be the chief of security. Like, Zach Allen is going to be this role because Garibaldi is no longer worthy of it himself. Anything else? No, that'll do it. Look, Chief, I'm sorry, it's the regs. What was I supposed to do? Say no. He just would have sent somebody else. Yeah, that's right. At least it wouldn't have come from you. He goes to get the stuff from Garibaldi. Garibaldi's having a marvelous day. He has this truly Garibaldi-esque speech about what a great day he's having and how everything's in his control. And so Zach's there now to be the pin to pop Garibaldi's balloon. And I... One of my favorite character traits in all of Babylon 5 is Zach Allen's need as a person to be the bearer of bad news or to be the person who enforces the rules onto one of his friends because he is of the wholehearted belief that it's better to come from somebody you know than somebody else. He does this throughout the entire show. He is the guy that will grit his teeth and say no. I'll go do it because they I owe them that. And as somebody, you know, who also has that mentality, I I deeply relate to Zach Allen so strongly because yeah, I'm like that as well in real life. And so I also feel the sorrow for him when people push back against it because 
You can see the arguments that Garibaldi makes towards it, even if it's a pithy statement about, like, it would have been better if it was from somebody else. But, yeah, I I get you, Zach. I get you Mm -hmm. need to be the face behind the message here that's uncomfortable. And we see that this will be an ongoing thing for Zach. It's already been there, but it just goes all the way back to In the Shadow of Zaha Doom, where he's the man who really doesn't like the even the notion of being the guy who is the bearer of responsibility and hard choices yet yeah when given them he will do it actually that's the thing he, he doesn't think he will will but he actually does no he rises to the occasion and he doesn't have enough faith in himself to know that he's capable of that each time he questions himself which goes back to sort of the central features of his character that help make him a better chief than Garibaldi. And I I, I would say a better character than Garibaldi. Uh, Look, I'm not a Garibaldi Garibaldi hater by any means, but I'm a a bigger Zack fan. He's higher up in my echelon of characters. So when he does take the gun away from him, What did you think of that entire scene? Because both characters are coming at it from their extremely opposed views of one another. Garibaldi's fully formed in his beliefs, even if they may not be fair, they make, I I believe, that they line up with who he is. And we have Zack, who's coming from, like I said, this point of view of empathy and thinking like, I have to do this, but also, the rules are the rules. Garibaldi, what did you think of that entire sequence? I really liked it. Particularly enjoyed the way that it was paced out in the editing Mm. because it allowed those facial expressions, uh, even like the sort of micro ones, to really showcase themselves and to stand out. You might even say under a spotlight. Mm-hmm. Would this? Do you think this episode would have been improved if Zach Allen was the point of view character throughout the story? Uh, yeah, I think it would have added more dimension and some, I guess, depth to the episode. I also just want them to have him as a main character more what is with b5's rejection of plots that they put down because there are these occasions where they will say to you in the episode here's the plot and then you stand back when the episode is done and go they didn't really meet up to what they were promising there. So what I mean is, in this occasion, and it makes me think back to Hunter Prey as well, where there's the exact same idea of Garibaldi must go against the team he taught. Garibaldi must go against his own security force. And in Hunter Prey, they barely did anything with that. It's not even no. a point of issue. And here, like he says that again here. But then he grabs okay. one of his security guys and says, hey, do this. And then they do. Like, not even saying that that's a bad idea, but here you actually could have made this work because the person he's going up against, the new chief of security, is a fully formed character we, the audience, know. And we already have this, again, 
title is apt, Conflict of Interest, where Zach Allen, slowly throughout the episode, has to realize he's fighting against the man he respects. And he has to do that. He actually has to do that and stop Garibaldi. And throughout the course of the episode, he loses respect for Garibaldi. That's the story that should have been here. Yeah, we want more of that. Because we we get drops of that through the episode and moving on further. But it's just like, how much more meaty could this episode have been if they did dedicate it more to that? In all honesty, I would have rather have had a story where Garibaldi got this MacGuffin And instead of being chased down by telepaths, and I understand why that's happening, it's setting up some information to help us down the road, but instead of that, I would like to have seen him going up against the security team directly, and him having to decide, shit, do I shoot my own men, do I not? And that can be how Wade and the and and Edgar's judges Garibaldi's dedication to the job, it gives Garibaldi an even deeper conflict with, of interest. Again, it all goes back to that title, but again, I'm not making it as a joke. It's a great title for this episode, but it's an even better title for an episode that actually delved harder into it. There's this level of they don't want to throw too much dirt on the characters, and I really feel bummed about that, because instead of Garibaldi and Lise and and Uh, Wade being chased by some faceless nothing guys that shoot them at a bar and whatever, I really think that this could have been a truly compelling story. This could have been a game-changer story if it was the security team of Babylon 5 and Zach Allen. It may be cliched, it may be tropey, but the image of Zach and Garibaldi pulling PPGs out at each other... That would have been that would have been a nail like nail hit on the head right there. Yeah, it would have it would have felt heavier because it's such a quick moment in the episode that we get. That it's just like, oh, and now it's done. You operate on this station at my sufferance. I can shut you down if I choose to do so. Anything like this ever happens again, that's precisely what I'll do. Garibaldi's been hired for a job by Wade, a character who we know very little about, but this is going to give us even more information about him and his associates. It's very much a leaning We're of, suspicious of him already. He's a, he's a sus man, uh, and he is willing to sacrifice Garibaldi, if need be, for the uh, clandestine operation. And Garibaldi... Due to his experiences with Zack and Sheridan to an extent, he is totally willing to do the job. A job that requires him to sneak somebody on board Babylon 5 and to sneak something off of Babylon 5. To go against his security, because before Zack took away his gun, he wouldn't have done it. But now that Zack and Sheridan have gone after him directly... He feels entitled to go against them. And that there, the way I just went through that, boy, doesn't that sound more interesting than what Garibaldi actually gets up to in the episode, huh? Yeah, I was like, that's a misleading way to represent it. But that that represents the potential more than the execution. 
So why doesn't it work? Because, I mean, one, what does he actually get up to in the episode? And then why doesn't it work for you, right, Sean? He gets up to things that are cheap to film. That's that's what I kept on thinking. The action scenes. Yeah. Which I think would be more complicated to do. You have to choreograph it and special effects and stuff. But I understand yeah, but what you're saying. Like, like quick. They're quicker to shoot once you actually get there, I think. Uh, and it's more appealing to the masses than appealing to the sci-fi viewers. Because a casual viewer is going to be like, ooh, action, that's exciting. Whereas people who are more on the sci-fi nerd end of the spectrum, Mm. like us, are going to be more interested in the internal work rather than the external stuff. Would this be more intriguing and more grabbing you by the shoulders if this was the Garibaldi we all know and love from the previous seasons? Or is it because of another reason, do you think? I've been struggling with that because we've appreciated the character journey he's going on, knowing what it's all about. But I was I was stroking my chin during the episode going, would I appreciate this more if this was the normal Garibaldi yeah. or is it because he's in asshole mode that I'm not? I, I, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent and I wanted to get your your feeling on that. I'm not sure either, to be honest. Cause it's just like this does feel like it would be his reaction. But maybe if he was normal Garibaldi it would have taken him a little while or he would have questioned it a little bit more. But he does have that attitude of fuck the people who fucked me. And I think no matter what, he probably would see this as them fucking him over because they've taken so long. Mm. If they did it straight up, like, you know, any normal job would have Mm. like you resign your stuff gets taken off you your security clearance gets cancelled so that you can't access the systems again i want to say that jms is adding in adding complications to the rather straightforward investigation crime story because the actual story that Garibaldi gets is oh I've got a MacGuffin and I must protect these people so that they can take the MacGuffin away and that isn't complicated no but he adds all of these complications of Lise is involved oh no and then oh they're being chased by the security team and these random faceless guys oh no they're telepaths I can read our minds like oh no my security and stuff has been taken away from me I don't have a gun like these are things that should add more flavor yeah but he gains a gun throughout the story but him not having a gun was a problem but it gains flavor like it, it, it it adds flavor, I should say, to this uh, yeah. procedural. But my thing is, and I think this has been applicable to the entire series from the gathering, is we, us two, 
Mm. And I think a lot of Babylon 5 fans, but I'm going to speak for us too, do not care, do not like, do not really get jazzed about the cop stories of B5, the ones where it is about Garibaldi having to walk around and grab out his gun and do the cop thing yeah. or do the bodyguard thing. It's like, oh, whatever. They are great when aiding another bigger story, but when they are the spotlight themselves, like when they are the things that we are looking through a microscope at, we, us two, we just don't like it. And I can't pinpoint exactly why, because like I said, you lay it out on paper. All of it is here. All of it is there to work and to operate. And I Mm. think Jerry Doyle embodies this asshole cop character well, but... yeah. It's not uh, a it's problem just, with the performance itself. Maybe it's just a, a an actual preference thing of mm. we enter this sci-fi show with a grand high concept, these out there characters, these world-changing events, as well as these deeply characterful things. So when we get something that we've seen on television since the inception of it, the guy with the hat walking around with the gun, asking people questions and running away from shootouts... I just sit there biting my lip going, okay, not really bringing me in on anything here. I I mean, do you have any further thoughts on that overall of the disconnect that we have when it comes to uh, the, the cop stories or even just the Garibaldi-centered stories? No, I'm just like, it, I've always sort of thought of it as a preference thing. We don't engage with a lot of procedural shows. Not anymore. I grew up on them all the time. Yeah. I watched all the CSIs, the NCISs, uh, Murder, She Wrote, I'd watch, like, Columbo. Yes. I love those kind of things, yeah. but I don't watch them anymore. No, but that that's what I was going to point out, is that we both grew up with that and we've moved away from that. There is something really comforting about a classic crime procedural shows, mm-hmm. uh, like especially Bones. For me, is you one do of, love Bones. It's one of those shows where I'm like, it's shit, but I like watching it. There's a layer of putting on a warm, comfy blanket of familiarity yeah. with the tropes, the settings, the the structures, but the that- staples. That kind of thing, those kind of things that we associate and like about crime procedurals are not why we're watching Babylon 5. My contact is coming to do important business here. May run into problems with the people we'll be dealing with. And security. So you want me to get this person past security, no questions asked, no identity cards, no checks? Precisely. If anyone knows the vulnerable places on Babylon 5, that'd be you. I think it's time to ask this question. We're nearing the end of the show. You know, we're getting closer towards Mm -hmm. the end. And so our views on certain characters have changed greatly during the discussions, like looking at them analytically. So I'm Mm going to ask you straight up, do you like Garibaldi as a character? Why? I, well, I just, I don't like characters like him that feel entitled to power and to responsibility because they think that they can do it better than anybody else. I 
have a general distrust for people who think that they deserve power, mm. which is one of the reasons why I like Zach so much more. And we keep on talking about how he's better at the job than Garibaldi because of that reason. Mm. I find like I find his addiction stuff way more interesting than his cop stuff. But overall, he's one of the crew that feels, even after this many rewatches, Garibaldi still feels like he's function first, mm. then a character. What's the difference between him and Franklin? Because everything you said could be put onto Franklin. Yeah. I believe that Babylon 5 outright acknowledges all of the things that you just discussed about Franklin. Yeah. And like, I do not like, think... What is he without his addiction is a question that the show asks. And he, him being an arrogant man who believes he's deserved all of this authority is factually in the show considered mm -hmm. to be a flaw and a bad thing. While Garibaldi, he ends the show as a rich, powerful man smoking cigars. And he's he rewarded for being rewarded. conspiracy. And, and and like there are downfalls to it. We this whole season is about that. The whole season is we have turned up that attitude to eleven percent. Like we've gone over the knob of ten percent and we've gone all the way on the knob. We've cranked it off. We've broken it off and thrown it in the bin because it, it it's so high. And that that there we've appreciated, but still after that, I, I I just look at Garibaldi as you say function first. But I'm gonna say something that I don't feel is discussed enough mm -hmm. is I do think Garibaldi lost a lot when Sinclair left because he was better as that friend, as that person to lean on, as somebody to dispense light-hearted quips and gags, somebody to say, hey loosen up a bit but they've been trying to give him that with every character in little ways oh garibaldi and jakara friends oh garibaldi and franklin are friends oh garibaldi and marcus interact garibaldi and avodava garibaldi and Sheridan, and none of them feel as lived in and as real and wholehearted when lise has that flashback in this episode when we have the flashback to lise and she says oh you have met the Sinclair guy twice and you're running away together? I wholeheartedly believe that because what we saw in the first season was so honest and so uh, just accurate that, yeah, I could see him saying, I'm going to leave Mars, my shitty life, to hang out with this guy because he's such a such a pillar for me, a character as well. But when Garibaldi and, and Sheridan... it's just like, okay... Th that kind of connection is something that Garibaldi is craving. Somebody saying that he's good enough, that he deserves the responsibility of being the chief and that his fuck-ups don't define him as a person. And also, sort of on another note, the, I, I like the fact that it doesn't take long for Garibaldi to really deeply connect with Sinclair because sometimes there are situations like that where you meet somebody and you're like, yeah, you're my person. Mm -hmm. Like, you're my kind of person. We're going to get along. We're going to be in each other's lives from that's, now on. That's why Zach 
is so uh, heartbroken about having to go up against Garibaldi because they have that relationship. And the episode doesn't want to play with that relationship. They want to play rather Sheridan is being a prick to Garibaldi and Garibaldi feels indignant about it and isn't that sorrowful. But I don't really feel like they have the biggest friendship beforehand. They just know each other. They just work together. They're good pals at best. Captain, look, I know the chief better than almost anybody. When you work with somebody 24 hours a day for three years, you pick up a few things. When he got back, he couldn't wait to get back on the job. Now, the way he walked away, it just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to wait for the universe to start making sense, you'll have a long wait ahead of you. I think it's time to give a round of applause because, uh, Lise, she's back. I love Lise. You love Lise. We all love Lise. This is a Lise-approved podcast. We have said that every time, that Lise is here. We love Lise. We, what a great character she is. Truly one of the most defined female characters in all of Babylon 5. JMS really spent a lot of time in the show Bible, fleshing her out and saying, oh, what are the, all of these great nuances of Lise? Uh, one, she's a woman. Um, two, she loves shopping. She has three, relationships with men. Sh- three, she, she, she's defined solely by having relationships with men and how that inconveniences Garibaldi. And four, don't forget, she's a woman and has a biological clock that's ticking and she must, must give birth. And if she has, she must be mother. That's Lise. In season five, we find out another character trait, which is... She is uh, unabashedly willing to drink alcohol in front of an, uh, somebody she knows to be an alcoholic and doesn't even think about it twice. Is she the most vapid character in B5? That is reoccurring. Maybe. I think there are more vapid one-offs, but... When what's, you... what's Lisa's problem? Like, why can't JMS write a character for Lise? Like, here she is, she's returned, and did you have an, a, a feeling or an opinion on her being back here other than, oh, it's cool that they brought the same actor back? No. No, that was it. Like, I, I, you know, I was obviously being snarky there. Like, I think Lisa's a fucking awful character. And it's not even that the actor's giving a bad performance, but it's all of those things I listed of JMS just looks at this character like that just she is woman she is love of garibaldi's life she is obstacle for garibaldi's happiness she is woman who must be mother she is woman who must be married to man she is woman who be shopping and i'm not even joking that that's a big part of her character is she loves shopping and i i don't know like am i am i being too harsh Rachel, do you do you do you have anything you want to say about Lise and just the overall characterization given by Babylon Five with this with this person? Um, I I do have something. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's it. Heck, her even being involved in this is just the psycho way of dragging Garibaldi into the conspiracy because she's the wife mm. of Edgar's, and so she's a vulnerability to Edgar's that the psycho can use and manipulate. Like, she's the honey trap. Yeah. That's all she... 
Like, we we praise B5 for giving side characters like Naroon, who's in the similar amount of episodes, maybe even less than Lise in the end, depth and arcs and like fully fledged and you could say like they're more than just their function and yet Lise she's the love of Garibaldi's life and uh, tell me one reason he loves her tell me one why does he love Lise I don't even have one what was that I couldn't hear I don't have one you're asking me a question when you know that I don't have an answer which is little rude, to be honest. Email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com and give us one reason why Garibaldi loves Lise that isn't as superficial as she is woman that he knows. And they were in love once and they were going to get married But time. why were they in love? What does he love about her? What does he love about her so much that he's willing to have a hissy fit to her in this episode over? Is it because she was the stable presence in his life when he was unstable? That still isn't an answer. That is just a function. Like, I could tell you what Catherine Sakai meant to Sinclair, as well as who she was as an individual character. I could tell you what he loved about her. More than just, she is woman, she does that function. It is the most baffling thing when it comes to B5, especially from JMS, who we all know is somebody who has very strong feelings about the uh, the, the, the wife-slash-mummy characters. Like, he did not want to write for the real Ghostbusters anymore because they were making uh, Janice into, like, the mum character of the group, and so he quit that show. Like, he's very strong-willed when it comes to this, and yet Lise is exactly that tech guy type of character. I can't get past it. There was this moment where... Some, sometimes you just drop the ball. Sometimes you just drop the ball. You're correct. Sometimes you do. I mean, when you're writing the show by yourself... But this has been an issue since the beginning where he had other writers. Like, this has always been Lise. It's true to the character. Now, oh, I don't mean it isn't just this episode, but, like, the character herself. Yeah. The ball got dropped. She is the ball that got dropped. I think it's the biggest fumble of Babylon 5. People bring up Lanier. People bring up Season 5. People bring up this, this, this. To me, the biggest fumble of B5 is Lise. She's just so two-dimensional. There was a moment where they could have had her be a real person and line up, which is Garibaldi's asking her, why didn't you contact me? Why didn't you come back to me when your relationship with Franz broke up? And she has this whole thing about Franz was cheating and now he has the kid and he's an earthborn and so there's prejudice there. But at no point, and am I crazy? Am I crazy? She never brings up at any point another reason I didn't contact you ever, Michael, was because I was on Mars, which was under the boot, and he, which is, is still it's under the boot and heel of Clark. We were bombed. We had civilians being bombed by them. I couldn't get out if I wanted to. Until I met Edgar, I couldn't get out if even if I wanted to. We were under the harshest uh, of the fascism in the entire Earth Alliance. And also... You guys broke away from Earth. Like, how am I supposed to? Like, they never touched upon how, how is an average woman like her supposed to have even gotten in contact with Garibaldi? She never makes an argument. And if she did, it would have made her stronger as a character. It would have made her believable because 
Am I crazy? Am I crazy, Rachel? If that was you, if you were Lise, if you and that conversation with Garibaldi and all of that universal context was there, would you not bring that up? Oh, yeah, but uh, maybe I'm better at arguing than she is. Are we supposed to like her? I don't know. I think so. I think we're meant to go, she could make Garibaldi happy, and we like Garibaldi, so we like her. And Garibaldi has to earn lease. Like, he isn't there yet. He has to earn that relationship. He has to earn that that trophy. Mm, I don't like that. I don't like that. That. But he he's petulant and he's too in his own head, so he isn't there yet. Yeah, she's married, but she's married to a, a a villainous person. Because as we get into the plot that unfolds, it's it's this shady dealings of he's the most rich, he's one of the richest people in the Earth Alliance. He's the richest man on Mars. He's a pharmaceutical guy, and he's saying that they're trying to cure this telepath disease. But even then, or this virus, even then, though, within the episode, it's left pretty vague on if that's a truth or not. Garibaldi questions that. He pokes holes in that a little bit. So we are left there to wonder if she is in league with a villain, and he does does she even know that? That's the thing. Does Lise even know that? And if so, it will most likely spin out, which it does to Edgar's will be defeated and Garibaldi will get the girl. Because now he's doing all of this, not only because Sheridan pissed him off at the end of the episode, but because Lise is something that he can attain. Even though he deletes a message from her at the end, he still decides he wants to go to Mars because he knows Lisa's there, as well as wanting to get away from Sheridan. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of a bummer. Maybe that's a thing too. Like, do you think the Garibaldi stuff, like Garibaldi's a character, as well as his his story in this, would be uh nicer if Lise was made into a more fully rounded character, because there is that level of griminess there that you just gawked and repelled at of she is just a trophy for him. And so it makes Garibaldi's quest to me feel like dirty even watching it. We, it doesn't help. Certainly doesn't help. Somewhere between the last time I talked to you and now you lost one husband and got another. Must have been the shortest separation in history since I didn't even hear about it. I have in my notes just this one statement. Um, Franklin and Ivanova are great together. Season four has really leaned into Franklin is just paired up with any character because he no longer has his addiction storyline. And so his character for the first three seasons never really had friendships strongly with the others because he was his job and he was his addiction and he was his ego and now that we are slowly transitioning away from that we are afforded opportunities of just characterful scenes between him and the other cast members that we didn't get that often it's cute and all i have to say of it is yeah it's cute but all i have to say of it is i like it i i I really like it it's i appreciate it I don't have any deep commentary or critiques to make on it other than Richard Biggs and Claudia Christian are very charming together. They they both clearly have a, a passion for for comedy and levity, and the scene is just carried by them being 
like joyous with one another in the scene. The whole thing of Ivanova is trying to figure out how to get enough power to send out the signal of the voice of the resistance through to Earth and other areas of space. And she's been racking her brain about it for days. And he he suggests, oh, just do Epsilon 3. It's the first thing he thinks of. And her just doing the Ivanova thing of, how about we go to Epsilon 3? And only an idiot would have not been able to figure that out straight away. It only like, takes like two seconds. It only takes like two seconds. And in another person's hands, or in other characters' hands, it could have been corny when Franklin leaned over to that random tech guy. He's like, oh, I like her. She's 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 great. I like her a lot, but she scares me and all that. I just, like, I can see people saying that's lame or corny, but I don't know. I just... It works for you. We 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 really rail against Star Trek Picard, especially, but also Discovery for failing to have those scenes in there. Those scenes of yeah, you're pushing the plot along a little bit, but it's really about the characters just being friends. Like that's all that scene really gives me is the characters are friends. Yeah, like he he's gotten back and he's checking in on his mate. We're four seasons in. We should already know that they're friends. Is an argument made, but here's the thing. You got to keep watering the plants to keep them alive. That's the thing. You got to keep watering those plants to keep them thriving. And that was a scene where I just was happy, and it meant we got to go down to Epsilon Three, and we get to encounter a very strange sequence of events. And um, were, were when you first saw this, as well as even now, did you ever think about how like where like where's Drawl? Like, shouldn't this be a scene with Drawl? Because that's always been my thing of, like, this should be a Drawl scene. Oh, they mustn't have been able to get that actor back, which is the truth. That's why the scene exists. But did you ever have that in, in your brain at all, or were you just too happy to see an old, familiar face again? Um, I did a little bit, and you were very quick to explain it, so I wasn't left hanging or wondering about it either. Zathras is the old familiar face, and uh, it's great to see him again. Four, nearly five minutes scene, one take, and it's just a comedy scene. It's just an excuse to write for more Zathras material. We don't even get to see a plot line. Like, that's another thing is, it's not... She just comes back with the stuff. We see it getting Mm. hooked up on. In In a lot of the weaker episodes of B5... They do have the this problem where they tell you a thing and you're like, oh, that's a problem. And then they say, I'm going to solve it. And then the, then there's another scene saying, I solved it. It's not a, it's not really something that you would describe as a plot. It's like that one episode. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe Grey 17 is missing or Walkabout. One of no, well, there was a plot in an episode where it was like Ivanova and Sheridan must get the League of Non-Aligned Worlds to sign a thing. And it was like a scene where they said they must do that, a scene saying, could you please sign it? And then a scene afterwards saying, we did it. Like, do you remember that? Yeah. That wasn't a story, though. And this is the Ivanova thing of, this isn't anything in particular. All it gives us is at the end, she can send out the 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 truth is back in business line. And that's how we end the episode. It's but, a great line, but uh, we got we got to talk about Zathras. I mean, I I mean, what, is this too much? Do you find this funny? Do you find this too absurd? The whole Zathras thing. It comes back around, so it starts off being a bit funny 
gets too much and then comes around to being funny again for me. Do you wish that you got to see the other Zathruses, yes. Zathrai, yes. Zathropods around? You wanted to see Tim Choate on a green screen with like 10 other versions of himself? Yep. My favorite bit of it, I, I find it funny. I, I've always found it funny. Yes, I'm a nerd. I find this funny, okay? Don't at me. I like Zathras. My favorite bit was uh, when he talks about how uh, there were 10 of us, and then he pauses, well, nine now. Like, there's just a very bitter quality to the and, way he and says the way it. he looks up. Yeah. Like, he got to go away. He was he... the quiet one, that Zathras. <laughs> and look, I'm a sucker when a scene ends with uh, a character going like, oi, at the end, just just of honor for realizing there's 10 of you, oi, just oi vey. She, was, she, should, she should have done a full oi vey. She is Jewish after all. Again, nothing too substantial to say about the Zathras stuff other than it's here. Uh, nice to have Tim Choate again in the show. Um, I, I guess it's time to just mention this. Epsilon 3 never really comes back after this. Is that a storyline or a plot element that you you wish was more prevalent, like Drahl and this? Because this is one of those things where we talk about how Babylon 5 always brings things back, yeah. it always follows through. Not Epsilon 3 because, well, we have a deus ex machina down there. We can't use it. But yes. what do you think? That's what I think about it. Like, I... Here's what I think. I do kind of wish that there was more because they bothered to set it up in the first place, but I also understand completely why they drop it because it's too powerful. It's a drag because every time on the rewatch, there are whole scenes and elements dedicated to Epsilon 3, whole episodes dedicated to Epsilon 3, and it means nothing, really. Like, it is a way to get information and nothing else. I, I don't really like Drow as a character all that much. I like Zathras, but you didn't even need to have Zathras necessarily be from Epsilon 3 and he would still work as a character. It is one of those strands of B5 that weaken more and more and more for me yeah. on the watches. And I respect the fact that the the you know JMS was aware that this was too powerful to have in the mm-hmm. show and so retire it quietly, but it doesn't negate the fact that when I sit here and I'm watching an episode in season four where it's about Epsilon 3 slightly, I'm sitting there crossing my arms going, okay, but this doesn't really matter. Like, I don't really care all that strongly. It's also like the next plot line that we get, which is, by the way, Londo and Jakar in this episode too. This is the first time they've interacted in a very long time. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to throw my hands up in the air right now. Why the fuck is this here? Like, I know why it's setting up, like, their little plan for the next episode, because yeah. Sheridan wants to have the league in. But honestly, this this doesn't need to be shoved into this episode. Mm-hmm. There's a way you could have wrote this in at the beginning of another episode that deals with the rest of it, mm-hmm. all in the same episode. It's a weird tag on. To allow this would be a sign of weakness. Or a signal that it's time to put our differences behind us and try to build something for a change. Look, it's easy to come together for a common enemy. Now our job is to come together for a common goal. We come to the spotlight. Spotlight. That's a little Michael Keaton impression there for you people. Now, this particular week, we are focusing in on 
Richard Stephen Horvitz. Mm-hmm. For our spotlight, we like to take the time to look at an actor who was in the episode, talk about their performance, their career, and any, any interesting pieces of trivia. As as viewers of media, we really like looking at the actors and just analyzing performances and just doing the IMDb deep dives. And uh, this is our way to bring that onto the podcast. And as you said, uh, we're looking at uh, Richard, was it Stephen Horvitz? And he played the guy that gave Garibaldi and Lise and Wade the MacGuffin. He has a name in the show. I don't remember. Mark. And he is brief. It's a non-performance. There's no ability to give a performance. He is there to give purely exposition. He says lines of dialogue. It is not a rewarding role for an actor. It is there just to tell us things. So I cannot give you any uh, statements about if his performance was good or not. It was believable. I I, I didn't think that he wasn't a guy that gave them information. Yeah, he, so he there you go. A good amount of agitated as well. He mm. wasn't too well. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. He was over the top in the right way. And he has an unnaturally high-pitched voice. Uh, Very feminine, very uh, very feminine voice, and yet it doesn't match the face. It is, there's a dissonance there. But it makes complete sense when you know what career as an actor this man has. Because I know some people are scratching their heads out there going, Okay, why did you bring up this guy? I mean, you, 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 why are you doing a spotlight on this guy? He's got two hundred and fifteen credits. Famous voice actor, video games and uh, TV show voice actor, which is not un- uncommon for Babylon Five. We have had many of them, and in season four, we'll have even more. He is a voice actor of quite a lot of acclaim. Uh, somebody who is very active and is a voice of many beloved characters of video games and TV shows. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Rachel. Uh, anything in particular of this man's work that you are aware of or grew up with or know? A bunch. A bunch. A bunch. Uh, like I w- was just going through and being like, yep, and I know that. And I know that, and I know that, and oh, he was in a couple of episodes of that. Um, I do like also the random live action things that are occasionally thrown mm-hmm. in as well, where I'm like, why that? Um, I am familiar with the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, where he is Billy he is among. Billy. Various other voices. That was always one that I never watched all that often, but I would see uh, like flash games of when you would go to like the, the was that a Cartoon Network show? I imagine. Yeah. You'd go to Cartoon Network site and they would have all of these flash games. You know, we we talked about this off mic a little while ago, but there was like a Lilo and Stitch flash game where you play as an experiment six to seven or whatever and you're having to make a sandwich and i remember in that era those were very popular and the bill and mandy ones were really fun games because the art style and the spookiness were really fun so i never grew up with that show but i am aware of it and i know the voice and that's the highest credit of when you know a voice of a thing of a cartoon character that you've never actually watched the show of before 
he did a lot of uh, Cartoon Network and Disney stuff. He was in a couple of episodes of Rugrats, Kim Possible, Fairly Odd Parents, Johnny Bravo, yeah. Dave the Barbarian. Oh, Dave the Barbarian. Uh-oh. Right. Um, he also does video games stuff as well. Well, you you mentioned cartoons. Another big one, he was one of the beavers from yeah. the Angry Beavers, which yes. is a show that I loved as a kid. I loved and I always... It was my favourite. I look at it and I'm like, it was only... that. It was only that, like 60-something episodes. Yeah. I loved it and I, and I wish it was on more when I grew up. That one was always the one they played less. They always played cartoon. Uh, they always played other cartoons like Cat Dog or the Wild Thornberries or Dexter's Lab or oh, he was in so totally, so spies, totally spies, as told by Ginger, <laughs> and he was additional voices in a very unique film. Mm-hmm. Osmosis Jones. Osmosis Jones. Uh, people may also know him deeply for being Invader Zim in the t- in the series Invader Zim, a very beloved series. Now, did you ever grow up with Invader Zim? Were you an Invader Zim kid? Because that came out at the right time for us. Oh my god! Like no, no. But he was in various Sabrina the Teenage Witch things, including mm. being. The voice of Stonehenge in Sabrina Goes to Rome. Thank you for being the voice of Stonehenge. Uh, but were you Invader, Invader Zim no, head at all? No. I remember all of the uh, Invader Zim merch at JJ's, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the Australian version of Hot Topic, I think. That's a great way to describe it. Very popular with tween girls or early teen girls. Yep. Invader Zim. I was shocked because I've never watched Invader Zim. It was never in my in my world. It never came by me until year eight. So when we were 14, uh, then a bunch of girls were wearing Invader Zim stuff and they had pins and they had books with Invader Zim and I was deeply aware of Invader Zim because people would do impressions. But mm. what I was shocked to find out was it came out a lot earlier than that. It was like 2000 to 2003. Yeah. But that there was like, what was it, 2008, mm-hmm. 2009? It had a revival. I know it had a revival later, but I think it just is one of those, it became an internet phenomenon of a show. There's certain aesthetics of, uh, definitely emo culture, but certain aesthetics of the like uh, mid to late 2000s were lining up with what Invader Zim was putting down at at the start of the 2000s. So I can only speak to my brief interactions with that series, but with that character, but it was one of those where, at least to me, it is it is something that found its audience a little later than when it initially was on, at least in my group of friends. I, many of my friends loved, loved Invader Zim. But no, I've never watched Invader Zim, but it's got to be mentioned because it is there. Another thing that I think is important to mention was he was in Power Rangers. He did a lot of Power Rangers, which is also he, an area he, where B5 pulls actors yeah. from. He's also been involved in a number of the dubs for Ghibli movies, which I... Makes sense. I noticed. I have had enough of your nonsense from your smelly mouth filled with corn. I haven't been eating corn. Liar! So you mentioned video games. He's done some video game work. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, he has. Well, obviously, he's a voice in the Invaders in video games and various Cartoon Network based ones mm. as well, where he does the voices of Billy and Zim. Uh, but he's also in the Psychonauts series. He's the main character. Yeah, he's, he's Rasputin. Uh, he's in some of the Crash games, Fallout, World of Warcraft. Ratchet and Clank. Uh, Headlander. Uh, Fat Princess Adventures. <laughs> uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, he is the voice of various uh, soldiers that you fight, similar to how William Morgan Shepard, the Soul Hunter, was the voices of many soldiers in Metal Gear Solid 2. And I have not played Metal Gear Solid 4 yet, it's the one I haven't played, but Metal Gear Solid 2, if you ever go back and play it, you will hear the Soul Hunter is in like 90% of that game as like mm-hmm. the voices over the radio. It is distracting but it is notice it is there and there's another one that i thought that you would have been quick to mention mm-hmm. the destroy all humans franchise i've played every destroy all humans game he's orthropox uh the best character in the series he is uh doing the invader zim voice there apparently uh my friend bartek who's been on the podcast says oh yeah he's just doing the invader zim voice for that i'm like okay i'll take your word for it but uh, I want to really stress this, and I think this is an obvious thing. If you've heard all of the things we've rattled off, and some of them you've probably watched before yourself or you've heard of, he does high-pitched voices. He has a naturally high voice. And so he is the market on being that male voice actor who can play little kids or play really high-pitched beings like fairies or weird little creatures. Oftentimes that is given to female voice actors because obviously that's just a realm that they live in. But this guy, he just is that voice actor of, of like the male voice actors who has the really high voice. So he gets all of these little characters who oftentimes are physically little because, you know, when you're little, you have a high-pitched voice. And I, I, I love that. I really think that's amazing because, uh, you know, he's, a, he's an actor right he's gone into acting he started out doing live action things and and dub stuff as well and you get typecast you get put in a corner you get pigeonholed and with somebody like him he with a voice like that how can you not put this guy in the roles that we've just listed off how can you not put him in those roles and he lives in a special space within that industry when it comes to that there aren't a plethora of male voice actors who can take on the positions that he does. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he is he's a valuable player when it comes to that industry. Like when I was saying uh my friend Bartek mentioned this, he lit up when he found out that that this guy was in B5 because like with Robin Atkin Downs or a few others, there are certain uh, actors within the industry that are just like key essentials and you wonder what it will be like when they aren't around or who mm-hmm. will fill in that void. And we've had character actors on this podcast that we've talked about that who have passed away or no longer working in, in the industry and it feels lesser because they're not around yeah. to you, play up these feel roles. their absence. Are you ready to go through the rating for conflicts of interest? Yum being bad, yum yum being good, no half measures. What is it for you, Ryan? Oh, it's an easy yum. Yum. It's a yum from me too. Yum. The first real yum of season four. 
We had Third Space. That's a movie. It wasn't made during season four. It's just set. But for a season four episode, but yeah. even just an episode, I think this is just okay at best, but it's not one that I'm ever going to be thinking about again. And there's just something to be said about that in itself. Now, are you ready and are you keen to hear about what we'll be talking about next time on the pod? Because we're in unilateral yum here. So I think we've got to be in unilateral hearing about what's happening next time on Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5. Episode lucky number 13, Rumors, Bargains and Lies. While Delenn tries to end the escalating feud between the Minbari, warrior and religious castes, Sheridan sets in motion a ruse aimed at bringing reluctant worlds under the station's protective umbrella. That is rumors, bargains, and lies. Ooh, Naroon, Naroon, Naroon. He'll be back. And that means hopefully next episode we'll have our Naroon expert, our bonehead in chief, Pat, on. So hopefully he'll be here. But in the meantime, you can find us on your social media of choice under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. You can email us over at yumyumpod at gmail.com. We have some exciting stuff happening over at our Patreon. If you are not uh, supporting us on Patreon, you should. We've had a recent influx of people following us on the Patreon. Things have been happening. Things have been going off on our Discord. That's right. We have a group Discord that you can be a part of. When you join our Patreon, we have been talking about the Alien movie franchise. We have finished talking about space above and beyond in its entirety. And we have moved on to talking about The Expanse. Yes, that's right. We're talking about The Expanse on our Patreon. Rachel and I are watching The Expanse for the first time. And if you want to hear it, Right now, go over to our Patreon and support us there. All of this is in the description below, and you can just click on whatever thing you like, including uh, uh, one of the podcasting sites that allow you to rate and review the show. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for choosing us to uh, spend your time with and just absorb what we have to say, the, the hot takes. I'm sure people are ripping their hair out saying, how could you say that Garibaldi's not a great character? Oh, man. But you know who is a great character? Cannot be denied. Jakar. J- oh, well, really? I was going to say Lou. But uh, yeah, Jakar's a pretty great character too. He's no Lou Welch. Uh, Lou's gone. Don't say that. There's books that end Lou's story. He dies a hero, apparently. Spoiler for whatever book. But uh, Jakar is here. He didn't say the phrase. No. It was a disappointment. JMS fumbled again. But if uh, if any character had to say it in his place because he was too busy not saying it, I, I, I honestly, you know what? I'm going to give it to Wade. Wade would have said, uh, hey, Garibaldi, until we meet again, good eating to you. Good eating to you. That was my Wade impression. He has a bit of a bit of like a a cleft palate there, like the actor does. I was trying my best not to be be insulting, but not to be disingenuous. No, 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 Rachel, Rachel, you can't escape me explaining my Wade impression. Ah, Mr. Caraboldi!